0: This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I finally had the opportunity after six years to meet Joe Heshmeyer face-to-face. We've talked 18 times with one another on this show, over the last six years, and have been looking forward to the day that we would actually be in the same place at the same time. And a couple of weeks ago, it finally happened. We got to see each other as, as a person and not just as this thing mediated by a screen. And it was such a pleasure to to interact with him there. And Joe, I'm just thrilled to have you back on the show again.
1: I, I was thrilled to meet you and thrilled to be on the show.
0: So in our conversation, we were sharing that drink that we have been promising for Years, and uh, and we were joined by a bishop who was recounting to us his experience with the uh, with the uh, the retreat that Pope Francis asked and encouraged and kind of told the U.S. bishops to go on, and and he provided for that retreat his own preacher to the papal household, Cardinal Renero Cantalamessa, um, who who led that retreat for them. And if you've never seen any of his work, uh, I'm going to post some links on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls, because he's a Capuchin Franciscan and he is dynamic and led by the spirit and just richly deep in his writing and his meditations. And as the bishop was recounting that retreat to us, one of the questions that he asked of our U.S. bishops was, who is Jesus to you? Is he a person or a personality? Now, Joe, I'm going to give you an opportunity because identity is one of those things that's really important to you. You've talked a lot about it. You talked about it in your talk at Catholic Answers this year. Um, the Catholic answers conference this year, I'd like you to unpack what that means. What's the difference between seeing someone specifically in this case, Jesus as a person versus a personality, how that relates to us in evangelization. And then we're going to get further on and apply those same categories to other areas.
1: Okay. So yeah, maybe I'll just unpack a little bit of even where those words come from. Great. Because you have person, you have persona, you have personality, and all of them come from the same root. Um, originally, the the word, like the the underlying word there, referred to speaking through a mask, and so a persona or a personality was a role that you played. And I think that we have a sense of that right now. Like when you talk about like a YouTube personality, mm-hmm. you're not saying this is what the person is really like you're saying like, this is the the curated role that they play online, or this is, you know, their public face, so to speak.
0: I'm not a doctor, that, but I play one on TV.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like you're, you, you know, even, um, <laughs> not that you reminded me of this, but even people <laughs> who talk like a certain affectation, that's often like an assumed persona. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about personality, we're, we're meaning something similar, this idea that there, are, we have, um, what are called parasocial relationships, right? Like where we may know a tremendous amount about a person and feel like we know them in real life. And you know, the irony of you and me talking about this is like we had done 18 different interviews together (laughs) without ever having been in the same room, without ever having just like sat down and chatted over a beer or something like that, you know, like, so it's very easy in the modern world to, to have these things that appear like a real relationship, where you feel like you know a famous person very, very well, even though with a moment's reflection, you realize like, oh, I've never actually talked to them. <laughs> I, I, yeah. You know, I assume I know what they're like, but maybe they're not like that at all. And this can be for good or for ill. Like the, the personality we have built up about these, you know, different persons might be better than the real person. It might be worse than the real person. Um, there was a pretty good article talking about uh, the comedian John Mulaney who has very much this uh, kind of innocent squeaky cleanish I don't mean, maybe this is not the best way to describe it, but like he has this really kind of harmless personality that he's very intentionally cultivated. And so then when like news came out that he was divorced from his wife and had cheated on her and like all this terrible stuff and was uh, back in rehab, like it just it, it clashed the person and like the struggles that person was going through didn't match up with the kind of curated personality. That's, that's,
0: oh yeah, go ahead. And and in that particular case, uh, I want to draw some distinctions here. In that particular case, he had cultivated a persona in, in a way to keep people from the person. Uh, And we see that a lot of times kind of as a coping mechanism that I, I can't trust people. So I need to put up this facade um, to, to insulate myself from, from that knowing gaze. But I think that there's another side of things that I really want to kind of press on today. And that's the idea that the person has not attempted to cultivate that personality, but we have relegated them to that personality and very often to a caricature of that personality uh, in order to insulate ourselves from them and their ideas.
1: Yeah, I think we do that, you know, because even if it isn't a famous person, even if it's just like a person you know on Twitter or Facebook or fill in the blank, you're filling in a lot of work about them, mm-hmm. and you're probably doing that based on a series of stereotypes, whether you're conscious of it or not. I think all of us do that. You you know you look at their picture and you say, oh, but they're they're probably like this, or you you read a handful of things they've said, and and you form these kind of sweeping impressions about who they are. Uh, based on a, a very limited kind of glimpse into into their life. Mm-hmm.
0: So here, uh, Cardinal Raniro, Kendall Mesa is talking to the U.S. bishops. He's saying, is Jesus a person or a personality? And part of that question is, how close are you letting Jesus and his ideas and his saving graces come in contact with you? Are you setting up this... Uh, this vaunted picture that you can celebrate and, but but also keep at arm's length, or are you entering into that messiness of relationship? And when there's a messiness of relationship with Christ, it's our messiness that He then <laughs> intervenes in. Um, and I think that that's a question, obviously for the U.S. bishops, but I think it's a question for us as well. How how much are we going to let the person of Christ? into an intimate relationship with us to a point that it can kind of mess with our picture of ourself, our own identity.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great way of asking it. I think a few things are worth highlighting there. First, the fact that this is a live question for the U.S. bishops means that this is not a question you can answer just by spending a lot of time talking about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like that's not going to cut it. You can have a full-time job, so to speak as a bishop, as, you know, as a Catholic apologist, as a radio host, you know, whatever, like we can, we can talk about Jesus nine to five. We can talk about Jesus 24 seven. And if we're not actually talking with him and getting to know him, it's still at the level of personality rather than like a true person. Um, We we
0: see this in scripture as well, where where Jesus is telling the story and said uh, in that day, Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, uh, we we did miracles on your name. Look at all of these things that we did. And he says, Mm -hmm. depart from me. I never knew you.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really sobering kind of reality. So we just had the uh, story of Mary and Martha come up in the Daily Readings Mm -hmm. recently. And I find that it is very rare that Mary and Martha comes up And it's the account where Jesus clearly says that Mary has chosen the better half and that we need to actually sit and be with Jesus and not just try to do stuff for him. I find it's very rare that you don't find a priest who tries to rehabilitate Martha and say, like, well, we need Martha. Like, we need, you know, we need to do stuff for Jesus, too. And it's, like, missing the point. Like, as Americans, the last thing I think we need to hear is, like, yeah, you can go do more stuff. Because we're doing way too much stuff. <laughs> right. Like what we need to hear is like no 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 stop it like really just stop like this is not helping and you need to stop and be with Jesus and trying to do things for him when he's telling you to do something else is not helping. I've got a one year old as you know, <laughs> and she regularly will like help in ways that we tell her not to. You know, like she whenever at my parents' house, she takes everything off of the coffee table next to where my dad says and brings it to him one item at a time. And he's like, I I really like it over at the coffee table, but she wants to bring him every single thing. And I think so much of the stuff we're doing for Jesus is the same way where he's like, no, 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 I want to be with you. And we're like, yeah, yeah, let me do all these things on my to-do list for you rather than listening to what you're actually saying.
0: We were talking with someone at, uh, in, in the break during the conference uh, about this, um, this, Need to discern, and both you and I have found the benefit of silent retreats, of, of going out. For us, it was to a monastery. I highly recommend that practice if you have one in your area that you can do this. Um, but talking about this drive to do, it takes me um, just, just about so far three days uh, to get to a place where I can actually just be with God right before then uh once i silence and you talked about this as well once i silence the external noise all of a sudden my uh, my inner monologue which is never quiet gets really loud and it takes me about 3 days to get to a place where i can actually be still actually hear what god is saying to my heart and then maybe i only have you know half a day left but that at that point that's enough because Christ is all and is in all. And that that moment of silence where my soul is still and can be with him as person and not what I think about Jesus, but actually experiencing Jesus, um, that makes all the difference.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a good example of this. And even talking about the, you know, as you just described, all the difficulties of being able to really enter into that. It sounds really easy, I think, to just say, like, oh, go and be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's actually really hard. I mean, it's really hard for the reasons you mentioned. There's a tremendous amount of external busyness and noise. So, like, let's unpack that a little bit layer by layer. You've got, uh, we are one of the most overworked people. And most of that is, like, put on ourselves by ourselves. You know, there are some people who, who have tremendously difficult jobs because they have no way of making the, the bills otherwise. But there are a lot of other people who, when you ask them, how's it going, they say busy every single time. Mm-hmm. And I'm, <laughs> I can easily fall into that, right? Like where it just becomes a, a sort of an identity in itself of like, I'm a person who does a lot. I'm type A, I'm, I'm driven, I'm blah, blah, blah. So that's that first layer where you just have noise and busyness and distraction and chaos. And then when we're off work, what do we do? We turn on the TV, we turn on Netflix, we turn on, you know, where we open social media, whatever, and we fill our lives with more noise and chaos and noise and busyness. And so then when we do try to pray, all of that stuff is still ricocheting around inside the head. And it, it easily is just, it's popping up, it's getting in the way, it's distracting. And so when you really try to make space for God, uh, for instance, on a silent retreat, one of the first things you find, I think, or at least for me, is that you realize just how much of that garbage there is. Like, just how much of the, oh, I better check my Outlook calendar. Oh, I better, you know, see what this update is. Oh, I better, you know, like, those kinds of things, um, it, it's way more distracting than maybe it first appears. It's, I think, a healthy practice to, uh, on on smartphones now they have that digital well-being thing Mm -hmm. at least android and apple have this where you can see how many times for instance you picked up your phone how many times you unlocked it uh as well as how many like minutes you've spent and in some ways the sheer number of like i uh a couple weeks ago it told me i had 680 notifications in the course of a day it's just insane and you just think how do i get anything done yeah and, you know, there was like a, a pretty lively family conversation there. So it wasn't like it was urgent emails every time, but still 680 times that it's, it's dinging and buzzing over the course of 24 hours.
0: Well, and we're so conditioned to it now. So it's, it's not a really a big thing. And until you get to a place where you're like, I need some focus time, whether that means I'm going to go spend an hour in adoration or whether that means I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I need to, to do this task for, for work or for home, there's just this, we have been now conditioned. Oh, I need to check that. Oh, well, I felt a buzz. Wait, no, my, my, I don't even have my phone. Where is that? Well, where did that, where did that phantom <laughs> buzz come from? My body is trying to get me to look at something that just isn't even there because of the practice that we have cultivated. Um, in, really insulating ourselves from silence and from even the opportunity to interact with the person of God
1: yeah I think that's it's well put and yeah when you go from 680 notifications to zero you feel that you know like that (laughs) that's a notable shift and like you said you're still like wanting to reach for it out of habit out of you know of this conditioning you've we have all social, not all of us, myself and many others, we've socially conditioned ourselves to live in a certain way. And breaking that pattern is so crucial if we ever want to get past knowing about Jesus to actually knowing Jesus. Uh, you know, it just, it's indispensable.
0: We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer, who is staff apologist over at Catholic Answers and a longtime guest here. I've had you since you were... I think first year, first or second year in Rome at seminary as my Rome correspondent, and now you're my yeah. Kansas City, Kansas correspondent.
1: <laughs> not quite as a, you know exotic.
0: <laughs> not, not quite as, a, as a, yeah, exactly. Uh, but however, there's some beautiful architecture in Kansas City, Kansas as well. If you've never been, you should go. Um, so we're talking about person versus personality, and this question that uh, Cardinal Candle Mesa brought up to the U.S. bishops, that I think it's important for us to look at as well. Uh, but then this bishop that was sitting with us at the Catholic Answers Conference in the in-between time um, expressed that and moved that from that question that was given to him, which is a, is a salient and important one, and further posed a question. Um, looking at the division that we see and how quick we are to categorize our opponent, um, sometimes that's because we disembody them and make them into just an idea that we can attack instead of a, a person that we're interacting with, uh, or the, the caricatures that we set up the personalities that we, uh, impose on people that prevent us from knowing the person because it makes them easier again to dismiss or to argue with or to, uh, to lob grenades at, um, how often do we not know the person, but merely know a personality or a uh, a stereotype about the other side, whatever that other side happens to be? And you, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say there's maybe a twofold distinction. You sometimes have individuals that become these kind of lightning rod personalities. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to forget that there's an actual person beneath that. And sometimes it's a person who's intentionally kind of made provocateur their their persona, their personality. But a lot of times it's just a person who, you know, they express themselves online, maybe overly forcefully, but then... They're also being interpreted maybe uncharitably as well so they you know it may be a little more complicated than like oh this person is just trying to be as controversial as possible right. it it may not be that it may be that like this person is trying to express themselves in a in a forum that does not do a great job of encouraging nuance and and delineation and all of that mm-hmm.
0: yeah and I look at this and of course as he's talking, I realize that that I have been guilty of that very thing,
1: uh, perhaps even with that person. Uh, (laughs) uh, But yeah, if even the fact you didn't name the bishop is probably helpful because people are going to have strong opinions one way or the other about the bishop. Uh, And
0: and so I look at this and, and I realize just how, um, how fragmented we are, not even as a people, but as individuals, right? We, we have segmented out our opinions that okay you're in my camp you're not in my camp and th- there's that that old uh, axiom about catholicism here comes everybody and we i think in, particularly in america have a very difficult time embracing that reality of catholicism because we have been uh, pushed towards ideological purity with whatever that ideology is that we subscribe to, be it uh, politically or spiritually. And so taking that idea of of uh, person versus personality and applying it, not moving it off of that question of Jesus and now moving it to that question of other people, uh, how do we combat that? We talked about using silence and trying to recondition ourselves Uh, to be in a place where we can encounter Christ. How do we do that when that's with other people? How do we silence those voices or those, uh, those categories that we have created so that we can now encounter not a personality or a caricature, but actually get to a place where we see the person on the other side of it?
1: I think the, the same way in a lot of ways that we get to know Jesus better is just getting to know the individual uh, better. That, and I'll take political ones because this is like the obvious one. Yeah. That we see a decrease. Um, the Institute for Family Studies had uh, a piece uh, last year in November that said marriages between Democrats and Republicans are extremely rare. That's really shocking. And that was not always the case. Mm-hmm. That it was not always the case that uh, your voting pattern was such a kind of catch all category. But we, we're increasingly like in this complicated situation where Team Red and Team Blue, for instance, becomes this kind of catch-all category that involves all these questions of ethnicity and race and class and sex and views on sexual orientation and all sorts of other kind of cultural things. You know, You can make stereotypes about what a person smokes or drinks or what their haircut looks like based on one of these two tribes. That's kind of the direction we're moving in uh, at just an incredible rate. But within that, we're also in this this situation where we can isolate ourselves to just members of our own tribe. However, we understand that and create an echo chamber where we can surround ourselves with just people who agree with us. We can do that in real life. We can do that certainly online. I mean, it really is just incredibly easy to do. Mm -hmm. And so what I find is the most um, outraged and outrageous voices that I hear tend to on both sides of the political spectrum tend to have one thing in common, which is that they don't seem to actually know anyone in the groups that they're mad about in a deep, personal, loving, intimate kind of way. Mm -hmm. That if, if you are constantly about fill in the blank maybe it's another political party maybe it's another part of the church maybe it's another whatever that is and you can't answer the question like who do you know and love who falls in that category that you're criticizing and who have you ever maybe learned something from you know because if it's someone you've never learned from that's pretty shocking right like if you think about it every individual on earth knows something that you don't And so if you've taken this incredibly broad swath of humanity and just said, these people have nothing they can teach me, I have nothing to learn from them, and I have no reason to be friends with them because they're X, Y, Z, I can just about guarantee that you're wrong Mm -hmm. because it just doesn't match up with what we know about humanity. So given that, now that doesn't mean that we have to be like morally relativistic. The people are sometimes wrong and sometimes the views they hold are wrong of the views they hold are even evil, but it may be that the person is still worth knowing and loving in their particularity. And if we do that, uh, I think that it really elevates the discourse to use the kind of modern parlance. You know, you can actually encounter a real person and all of the complicated reasons they may hold a view, even a bad view, rather than kind of a, a stock caricature, uh, which, which is totally ineffective at doing anything other than drumming up more and more and more outrage. Yeah. And
0: this reminds me of a couple of stories here. One is an individual story that there was this person that I, um, I heard a couple of their opinions. They, they had a different opinion than I did. So obviously they were wrong. Uh, (laughs) And, and we're in this, uh, this kind of jovial, but, but knowing combat with one another in our, in our conversations. And, and, over time, I don't know what happened by the grace of God, uh, we got to know one another. And I think both of us impacted the other to kind of bring us to a happy middle that that we would otherwise never have found. The the graces that I have received from knowing this person uh are immense, but it almost never happened because, well, they're they're different than I am, and I know what I know what camp they're in, quote unquote um and how often does that happen to us that that we see someone and our first response is revulsion and an insulation and sometimes um, we think that well I'm doing that because in order for me to follow God right in order to really be a true Christian I can't entertain those ideas uh, but we don't in the same time we don't entertain those people and I think of You know, Jesus going and and eating with tax collectors and sinners, he wasn't by entertaining those people, entertaining their ideas, or even even approving of those lifestyles.
1: Uh, Well, maybe take it even one step further. It wasn't just tax collectors and sinners. That's what we know about. That's what we talk about. Mm -hmm. But he also, in Luke 7, he's eating in the house of the Pharisee. And in John 3, he's having a Pharisee over for a one-on-one meeting at night. Yeah. And like we read those things and we can kind of gloss over them. These are the people who were the other tribes, so to speak, in Jesus's day, just as much as like going to the Samaritans in John 4. like These are the people who were harassing him and publicly saying things about him that were untrue and unfair all the time. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, just get behind me, Satan. I have nothing to do with you. No, no. He he actually draws them close. Now, there are times where he knows they're acting in bad faith and he'll just kind of shut down the conversation. And by all means, if a person is not interested in having an actual human interaction, if they're just trying to use you to score points, it's not wrong to say, OK, you're not you're not trying to mm-hmm. do this in good faith. But at the same time, like if you can't treat people who disagree with you with the same kind of love and respect Jesus showed the Pharisees of whom he said, like a number of pretty harsh things like we, we remember, like, oh, whitewashed tombs and all this, you know, the negative stuff but he never lets that get in the way of that individual love and care at that that very personal level. And if we're not doing that, if we're just doing the name calling, mm. we're actually failing to to model Christ.
0: You know, we like that you brood of vipers part because it we we feel this uh this surge of righteousness, but we forget the fact that Jesus was able to discern being God was able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the people to whom he was speaking. And we don't have that skill unless we are actively and continually listening to the Holy Spirit, which when that happens, we're going to be operating under such humility that it makes a world of difference. Uh, This is a conversation that we can go on and on about. We're talking with Joe Heschmeyer, who is a staff apologist over at Catholic Answers. Find out more at catholic.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about the link between seeing Jesus as a person versus a personality and seeing our neighbor as a person versus a personality. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with our friend, Joe Heschmeyer. And we're talking about this question of person versus personality. Uh, Last year, or maybe a couple of years ago, Cardinal Reniero Cantillamesa uh, led a retreat for the U.S. bishops, asking them, do you know the person of Jesus or just the personality of Jesus? And then from there he went on uh, the, the one of the bishops who was recounting this story to us went on to to ask the question, do we know the person of our our the, the one that we disagree with or just the personality? Have we have we made a personality of them, a character of them that that contributes to the the division that we see in in our world today, and as we're talking, Joe, um, about this idea, one of the uh, I have a third question, or or maybe a, a third point here. I think that if you notice in your life that you are creating personalities in order to lob grenades at them, right, or to to uh, just even to separate yourself out from them so that you never come close to touching them as a person, then it's very likely that you have not had or do not continue to have that encounter with the person of Jesus and rather have set up a personality. Because as we come to encounter Christ, he drives us, Paul says, the love of Christ urges us on, compels us um, to the other person. And so let's look at maybe the connection between the one and the other.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting insight. I I want to agree in part, push back a little bit. Please do. So Martin Buber, the Jewish philosopher, uh, talks about the difference between I-thou and I-it relationships. And his argument is that we often interact with other people in a way that doesn't fully respect, basically we would call it the Imago Dei, doesn't fully respect that they are other people who are as much an I as we are. So the ideal relationship is an I bow. I'm a, a person with all this swirling stuff going on, made in the image and likeness of God, with all of you know this dignity, with all of these struggles, with all of yada yada yada. And so are you. And we can see that in each other and we can walk together. But then as you st- sort of extend outward in social relationships, there's always people who are on the periphery of that. So you're not really entering into the mess of like the person working at the convenience store when you go to get a soda you're not really entering into like and and you kind of just can't you know like, you need to be able to see and recognize their human dignity but that's not going to look the same mm-hmm. as like sitting down to have a drink with like every person you pass on the street you'll you'll drink too much um <laughs> it just like it practically doesn't work well, and but- so there's always this limitation on on kind of what we can do but we should try to expand that that relationship as broadly as possible so i'm gonna
0: i'm gonna push on that a little bit yeah um, just from this uh this aspect of the new evangelization and and being people who encounter christ and live by the holy spirit day in and day out um that there will be times like with philip and the ethiopian that someone who is on the peripheries all of a sudden is right in front of us. And yes. and if we have trained ourselves uh, not to enter into any I, thou relationships with people on the peripheries, we can miss those divine appointments where, you know, you're just a person in my day. You're just the checkout person. You're just whatever. And you're serving and fulfilling a need that I have, or you're on the outskirts of my story. Then we don't, we might miss the opportunity to be inserted into the middle of their story for
1: our good and theirs. Yeah, I think it's, it's that's well-received. That's a very good pushback because, and I think Buber would actually agree with that as well. He's not saying there's some people who are just fine that we treat them as it's Mm -hmm. he's saying, try as we might. There are some people we kind of inevitably don't treat in a fully human way. And I think he would say we need to expand that circle as much as possible. And part of that is right being attentive to what are the promptings of God in this way. And even, you know, I I think there are several really concrete, if we want to look at some concrete ways we can do that, one of the ways is, like you said, this connection between prayer and that interpersonal encounter, that if you're not listening to the voice of God, it's going to be very hard for you to be attuned to all of those people he's put in in your life. And conversely, if you're treating other people callously and indifferently, then I think you're right that that is a red flag uh, that we've not fully sat at the feet of Jesus like we should have because he, he wants more from us. Um, but <laughs> one of the reasons I even raised the whole Boober point is because as I think about the lives of the saints, it's easy for us, especially as modern readers, to see areas where they had like just these embarrassing Uh, stereotypes or oversights where they would treat huge swaths of humanity that they'd never actually encountered with these kind of just ridiculous views of of what they were like. I mean, going back even as far as like the the Greek historian Herodotus, who's talking about like, you know, the three headed people in the, you know, the few countries over. And like, it's very easy for us to have the people we don't know, who, depending on where you are in the country and what your social circle looks like, that may be a different person. But someone who is just a caricature, just a stereotype, that's something that's really hard to break out of. Uh, and and we see that even in the the lives of the great saints that they weren't always totally successful in, in breaking out of that.
0: Well, and when we depersonalize someone, uh, and, and let's use a different term for that, when we when we dehumanize someone else, then it makes it very easy for us to demonize that person or that i that 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 group of people, and. So you and I, in encounter with Christ, uh, who are now seeing the person of Christ, not the personality of Christ, uh, have the, the love of Christ compel us on, we have a responsibility now to extend that to others. We have a responsibility to, to look for the person, even when it's hard for us to see in another person, because... God sees that person, God made that person, and our encounter with them is meant to bring, the, to, to borrow the term from the Jesuits, the greater glory to God, right? Um, if we're, uh, maybe in some ways, our idea of characterizing another person is for our own glory, so we can get the win. But the way that that God gets the win is for us to be compassionate to one another, even, and maybe especially, those people with whom we disagree and maybe have a distaste for.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think even that whole desire for the win, humans are deeply, deeply, deeply tribal creatures. We're hardwired for it. There's all sorts of fascinating stuff on it. Um, in the talk, I gave at Catholic Answers. I, I brought up this University of Utah study from, I don't know, maybe 2008. don't remember. Uh, that was talking about football and how men's testosterone goes up or down based on whether their football team wins or loses. It's hardwired in us to be like, really like my team's winning, my team's losing. And to have a pretty strong emotional, even hormonal reaction to that, just know that about yourself. You know, like that doesn't have to be weird. To <laughs> just be like, okay, I, I get that if I actually see this other person in their humanity, there's just part of me that actually is resistant to that. Because it wants to just go and conquer and like vanquish them, and it doesn't want to remember that there's an actual person, you know, under the helmet on the other side of the battlefield. Uh, that's just a thing we have to check in ourselves. But then the second thing I'd say is there there are I, I alluded a second ago to there being some concrete things we can do, and depending on the context in which this arises, maybe I'll just throw out three tips. One is um, check for your own biases. Like rarely are we too self-critical of our biases. Mm-hmm. Most of us need to be more attuned to that to say, okay, who do I spend all my time with? What is you know if if all of your of what you're seeing from the other side, so to speak, is uh, what's called nut picking, where like someone chooses the craziest people from the opposite view and has them on the show or or retweets them or whatever. Recognize that. Like, okay, yeah. I'm dealing with a bunch of personalities that have been curated to make me mad like that. That's, that's huge. Right. Oh, sorry.
0: And what we need to realize that the shows that we watch or the social media that we consume is, is crafted. And, and in the case of our social media, there is an algorithm that, that crafts it moment by moment to get engagement. And the fastest way you get engagement is to make someone upset right? You either make them upset at what that other person's doing or you make them upset with you. And that drives uh, attention and that drives clicks and that drives the Nielsen ratings and everything else, which is what they're really after. It's what they're selling and we're buying it maybe
1: uncritically. Yeah. And I think a lot of what it gets passed as being like a strong culture warrior is not, it's just like sitting in a group of people online and just aggressively agreeing with one another while you like demonize people you're not actually interacting with. There's no war happening there. Mm -hmm. Like you're all sitting around HQ, just talking about what great warriors you are. There's you're not actually persuading anyone on the other side. So that's the first thing. The second is like when there are actual online uh, debates and discussions that come up, especially if you can feel maybe the temperature rising in the conversation and, and things have the potential to just be reduced to a clash of personalities rather than natural interaction of persons. One good concrete thing that I would suggest is craft the language uh, to emphasize humanity. And what I mean is this, like I will regularly just say things like, hey, I'm sorry, it took me a little while to get back to you. I was doing X, Y, or Z. Not as like a defensive thing, but just as like a little bit of a window into like, oh yeah, as a reminder, I'm a human being. And what I typically find, even in like theological conversations I'm having online, is that the person, I would say probably more often than not, will reciprocate and will include some other thing like, oh yeah, I've got this thing I'm working on tonight, so I may not get back with you. And it starts to change. It it decreases the temperature in the room. We can still debate the thing, right. but we've caught sight of each other's humanity. And and even more, if you can say, hey, I'm really sorry, I made a mistake that just puts a spotlight on your humanity in a way that like you're willing to be seen as a person. Uh, So I would really recommend anything and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing, if this is an in-person interaction, dial that up even more. Like don't just be reduced to like a screaming match with a person you're seeing in front of you. Pray for them. Offer a silent prayer in that moment. And then as much as you can like open up this, this side of you that is, um, just transformed by Jesus Christ, especially if we're talking about another Christian, especially if we're talking about another person in the church, the more you see like, here's how God's working in my life. And then the other person can say, and here's how he's working in my life. It's very hard to then reduce the other person to a personality after that.
0: I'm going to add one more for you, please. And, and this one is maybe the most challenging of all. Jesus gave us a way to uh, to counteract this idea of person versus personality, specifically with those people who are on the fringes and that we disagree with. Uh, and that was this. He said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. And so I, I've I found that some of the times that I've had the most profound encounter with the person of Jesus Christ is when I make that choice at the beginning of the conversation, when I pull into the... Uh, the fast food restaurant in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that I've been I'm hungry. I've been driving around for a long time. I finally find a place that sounds remotely good to me. I pull in and a homeless person begins walking directly towards me. I have a choice in that moment. Do I say, I'm sorry, I don't have anything today. Or do I say, as I did on this day, and I was so grateful that I did, do I say, Hey, um, When's the last time you've eaten? Oh, you know, this is the answer. And I'm like, well, do you want to come in come inside and eat with me? And here, as I'm seeing the humanity of of Michael, this person that I'm having a meal with, I'm also, according to scripture, according to Christ's own words, those same words that said, Let there be light, and this is my body. Now I'm encountering whatever you do, the least of these you do to me. I'm encountering the person of Jesus through the person of Michael that I would. Otherwise, never have had an interaction with because of my own biases and my own uh, rush to be doing the things that I need to be doing and segmenting myself off from every other person that could get in the way of that.
1: I don't know how much longer we have because I want to drop a, a bomb here. Okay. As much as I can. Um, there's an etymological connection between words like host and hostile. And then the Eucharistic host, which Mm -hmm. also comes from the word for victim. Uh, And it's this idea that in these encounters with the other, like this story you told about Michael is perfect because you just like all of those fears and all of the desire for just like keeping your own stuff and neatly and orderly and not opening yourself up. You have to confront all of that and say, come on in. And you don't know how it's going to go. And understandably, like, this is, this is where it's, it's difficult. But this is why, to use another related word, hospitality is such a tremendous spiritual good. Like, the Benedictines actually have a charism of hospitality. Leon Cass in his book The Hungry Soul, makes the argument that what makes Abraham greater than Lot is in no small part the hospitality that he shows. Where Lot greets the angels when they arrive in the city, Abraham runs out to them. And Lot gives them a basic meal. Abraham prepares them a feast that he's always just taking things to the next level. And scripture says in that way, we entertain angels unaware that when you open yourself up to the strange encounter of like, I don't know how this is going to go. This could really go very badly, <laughs> which is a part of hospitality. We often ignore. Um, if you open yourselves up to that, like that is a place where you can encounter Christ. And it, it doesn't seem to me we're going to get to the end of our lives. And he's going to say, well, that was dumb. Why did you, why <laughs> did you have a meal with Michael? Like, That's not going to be it, right? Like, that's not how uh, we're going to be judged. So it's one of the few times where you know, like, I can be almost positive. I'm doing what Christ would have me do here because he gave some pretty explicit directions in the Gospel of Matthew about what to do here. Well, and you're never going
0: to, going back to this question of culture war, you're never going to affect a change in the other person by standing on the other side of the room and shouting at them. But you can affect change
1: in the other person by coming into a place of encounter. And and you may find in that spot the common ground you need to like work towards an actual. You know, like I'm I like I argue for a living, kind of. <laughs> so I'm not saying like it's bad to present arguments or anything like that. I hope people don't don't take it that way. But it's rather that if you're not actually hearing where a person's coming from, and more importantly, why. And if you can't find the good that they're searching for. You're not going to have a lot of luck in, in kind of meeting them and, and kicking them to the next level.
0: We've been talking today with Joe Heschmeyer, staff apologist over at Catholic Answers. You can go find out more of their work over at Catholic.com. Joe, thanks for being with us.
1: My pleasure. Thanks a lot to you.
0: If you missed any part of my conversation with Joe Heschmeyer, you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, you know the drill. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And as always there's an extra segment we like to to keep talking after uh, after the the broadcast portion is finished and that is made available every week to all those who support the show through Patreon. You can learn more about how to join that support community and what's included in that by going to outsidethewalls.com clicking that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page that says support the show hyphen Patreon. And learn all about, even see a couple of free extra segments, learn all about how you can become a part of that community. Now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking through Scripture to catechism, to the documents of the church, to, to fathers and doctors, and so much more. Learn more by going to verbum.com. If you've looked at it before and think maybe it's a little bit out of reach for you, there is an option I'd like to draw your attention to, and that's Verbum Fundamentals. With Verbum Fundamentals, you get some key documents to help you get started in your study, uh, and it is a fantastic option at a lower price point. I've got a link to it over on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls, or you can just go again to verbum.com. Our reading from scripture today comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 10. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus and said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day he took out the two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with instruction. Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was the neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, The one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, and you are most likely familiar with the story, and this is everything we've been talking about. And just as Jesus does, he's encapsulated the whole thing in a story that makes it a little bit easier for us to understand. But you and I are a little bit um, at a loss here from the people who originally heard what Jesus was saying because they understood with greater clarity the, the social nuances that he was bringing up. Uh, you've probably heard a homily on this. You've probably heard this broken down before. And so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I do want to shine a spotlight on on why this story was so shocking. The Jews and the Samaritans did not like one another. And a couple of things happen here. One is that the, the Samaritans uh, claimed to be, and probably were in some sense, descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh. They were part of the tribes of Israel. They're descendants of Abraham. And they practiced a form of, of Judaism. Um, but it was not the same form of Judaism that the people in Jerusalem uh, and, and those that returned from the exile practiced. And so there was this great distrust and disdain from one another. Just, just to kind of give you a hint at what that looks like. If we look back in, in the book of Sirach, we see this in the epilogue where he says, My whole being, this is of course Ben Sirah, my whole being loathes two nations. The third is not even a people, the inhabitants of Seir and Philistia. And the foolish people who dwell in Shechem. Now, those foolish people, according to Ben Sirah, who dwell in Shechem, who are not even a people, that's the Samaritans. And so Jesus is saying this Samaritan was able to look past that cultural divide and look past his own prejudices and biases and see the person who was wounded on the side of the road and tend to him and care for him. And that person who had mercy, he was the one who was the neighbor. We could just as easily take those people with whom we disagree politically, or even people who are within our own uh, faith, our own faith of Catholicism, who practice it in such a a drastically different way than we do that we no longer or feel we no longer recognize it. That's the person who Jesus is highlighting is the neighbor. And we have to be able to see beyond those, those stark differences past the personality to the person. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to do, to go and do likewise, to be that merciful, to be able to see past our biases, even with people who we deeply distrust, but are somehow intimately connected to, and to be able to see them as a person and exude that mercy of Christ to them. Today's reading from Church History comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement. Let us put on unity of mind, thinking humble thoughts, exercising self-control, keeping ourselves far from all backbiting and slander, being righteous in deed and not in word only. Scripture says, he who says much hears much in his own turn, or does the easy talker think that he is righteous? It is our duty then to be eager to do good, for everything is from God. He warns us, see, the Lord is coming, and the reward he brings is before him, for paying each according to his work. He urges us who believe in him with all our heart not to be idle or careless in any good work. Our boasting and our confidence must rest on him. Let us be subject to his will. Let us look carefully at the whole host of his angels. They stand ready and serve his will. Scripture says, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, and a thousand thousand served him, and cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole creation is full of his glory. We, too, dutifully gathered together in unity of mind, should cry out to him continuously as with one voice, so as to share in his great and glorious promises. It is written, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, man's heart has not conceived what great things have been prepared for those who wait for him. Beloved, how blessed, how wonderful are God's gifts. Life with immortality, glory with righteousness, truth with confidence, self-control with holiness. All these are the gifts that fall within our understanding. What then are those gifts that are in store for those who wait for him? Only the most holy creator and father of the ages knows their greatness and their splendor. We should then strive with the greatest zeal to be found among the number of those who await him, so that we may share in the promised gifts. How will this be, beloved? If our mind is fixed on God through faith— if we are diligent in seeking what is pleasing and acceptable to him, if we fulfill what is according to his blameless will and follow the way of truth, casting away from ourselves all that is unholy. That reading comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement. And oh, how hard it is for us to live up to this, to live that kind of humility, to be eager to do good, to see that we are members of one another and to care for one another. Oh, Lord, make this so. Give us the grace and the strength to desire it. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Phil and Tina Parker and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link and join their numbers. Also, come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls on twitter the handles at outside the walls i'd love to hear from you until next week may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you may the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace